Black lives can't matter only if an officer is punished. Mm -hmm. Black lives can't matter only when we die. Take a little break from the crazy, try to recalibrate. Every day seem to be hazy, I see though. Everybody's sick with obsession, it's hard to navigate. Take your baggage out of my space, I need room. Reset. New world order. Reset. New world order. Hey. Hey, what's going on? What's up? Good to see you. Nothing. I'm like Teddy Riley over here. <laughs> now nah, you coming through clear. I don't see no spin wheels. You don't have okay. that. You okay. don't have a whole band. <laughs> you don't have a whole band in the back. You good. You good, buddy. That's so funny. I feel honored. I feel honored. I'm grateful that you that you're able to join. When I reached out to you originally, uh, we were dealing with just the pandemic. And then now we have this added element of an uprising or another iteration of the uprising. And, you know, just for folks joining, you know, I'm JP Reynolds. I am a music artist, uh, entrepreneur and educator. And I'm being joined right now by a good friend and a comrade, yeah, um, yeah, Derek Purnell. We're going to be talking human rights, wellness. And, I, you know, I'll let Derek kind of talk more about her own work. But I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. I think it's, it's incredibly timely. You know, just I want to start off by saying thank you. Derricka, because you know you're you're one of the people who who I kind of look to for language around human rights. The language that I've adopted from you is abolition. Okay, you know, All and right. <laughs> it's interesting seeing the world, or at least from a maybe from a Twitter perspective, I see people adopting this language more readily now than they did when I first got adopted the language from you. Right? I mean, I think it was a few years ago when you were one of the first people I know of that started saying abolish the police. And immediately I'm like, oh, I'm down with that. Like, yeah. Like when you when I hear the word abolition, I immediately you know think about the the system of enslavement. <laughs> you know, we know that the the systems of enslavement and the system of policing are are inextricably linked. Um, yes. But one of the things that I think a lot of folks have asked me as I've been in conversations and been in spaces and talk about abolish the police, defund the police. The the thing that they ask me is, well, how do how do you do that? How do what, what do what about reform? I thought we were trying to reform, and I'm like. Listen, man, go read this article by Derek Parnell, and then, then we could talk, right? So now that I got you here, can you give us some, some insight on really just the, the basic, right? The, the, I think people that you and I identify as abolitionists and not reformers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can, you, can you shed some light on that and what that means? Of course, of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's the last week has been such a whirlwind. I was really looking forward to this conversation, and um, yeah, just so happy to be here. To be, you know, you're one of my spiritual heroes, and so it feels good to like just be in conversation with you. And um, yeah, I mean, oh, where do you even start with the abolition versus reform conversation? Why don't we call ourselves reformers? So. I don't know, 200, 300 years ago, 200 years ago, it's 2020, about 200 years ago, people were trying to figure out what to do around the slavery question. Right. People, like slave owners, were under the impression that Black people would just sort of die out, that we would just die, that we wouldn't even make it. So mm -hmm. there were some people who were, who were really interested in what do we do with all these people of African descent? And other people who were just like, well, we're, that question like won't really become right so we won't even really entertain it because, mm. you know, they're sort of a weak race. We're going to take all that we can out of them and they're just unfortunately going to die. And when time passed on and people realized like, oh, they're going to continue to reproduce and 
even if we ban the importation of, you know, people of African descent from the continent, like it doesn't mean that they're automatically going to die, especially people who are in the, you know, in the territories here versus people in the Caribbean. And so then it becomes this question, okay, so what is going to be their fate? So if you look at that tradition, now when we talk about it, we call all of those people abolitionists, right? <laughs> Anyone who was against slavery were abolitionists. When we look into the history, there were people who were against the institution of slavery. They were, I don't, I, I'm struggling about whether we like should call them or think of them as like abolitionists right. because abolitionists have sort of a heroic ring to it. Like people who are standing up for people who are oppressed, people who are standing up for the enslaved, yeah. people who are standing up for folks who were indigenous and also were enslaved. And there are a lot of people who were against slavery, but who weren't for the liberation of black people. Mm -hmm. right? They were against the institution yes. of slavery. There were a lot of poor white people who were against the institution of slavery and convict leasing, but they were against it because it was driving down the cost of labor. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to end slavery, not because they believe in black liberation, right. but because they wanted jobs. Right. And they were like, y'all having, you know, black people work for free is keeping the, the cost of the wage low for us. Right. So they were against slavery. Um, there were people who were against slavery because they didn't like, you know, how cotton and the the hype and the, what, it, like, what it took to be um, a slave owner back then, the landed aristocracy and there are northern industrialists who initially were getting so much money from like the institution of slavery they wanted to test out other types of industry and so they weren't necessarily interested in the liberation of black people but they were against this, the institution of slavery right um there are also people even abolitionists who weren't even committed to like black people having a certain level of freedom and citizenship in this country there were abolitionists who were interested in sending black people back to Africa. You know, that happened through, you know, the creation of the colony of Liberia, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So if you look across the broad spectrum of what it meant to be against slavery, it included people who were abolitionists, but it also included all of this other stuff. Yes. You know, now we have we have an opportunity to act. You know, what what is it that we're actually against? So we're against police violence. We're against prisons as sites of violence. Mm -hmm. But also, what are we for? So yeah. if we're for safety, it's not enough to try to reform police. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not enough to try to stop the individual acts of police brutality, individual acts of police violence. If the, if the institution itself is violent. Yeah. So to reform something typically means to make better. And people in the South, you know, slave owners who wanted to preserve slavery, they tried to say, oh, no, 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 black people, they're happy. You know, they're good. They don't have to worry about shelter or food. We take care of them. You know, we can improve the way we take care of them, right? Yeah. And so people were interested in reforming slavery. Right. And for some people, that was enough. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, do we want, you know, police officers and do we want them to be able to police better? Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to police? You have a million law enforcement officers in this country, 18,000 law enforcement agents in this country. Yeah. It's more than just like the people who go viral on videos. It's about what they do, the bulk of their work, the, the job is it good? Yeah, yeah. So do we want like freedom or do we want yeah, a system that better harasses, detains, and arrests people? And I think we want freedom. Yeah, we, <laughs> we absolutely want freedom. You are a constant voice for that and you know, your work your work exists in so many ways. You are a writer, you are an activist. I know you as an educator as well. Mm -hmm. You're also a lawyer. I think it's interesting to frame all of this conversation in the, in the under the guise of human rights, because mm -hmm. again, that, that shifts 
you know, the, the understanding from our, just an economic perspective, people want jobs. That's just from just a political perspective of who has more capital when it comes to voting. It's about the human right to live and the human right to exist and to do all the things that we are capable of doing and we are called to do. And that's why it's so interesting and so important, I think, that, that we frame in this moment, right? This moment feels a little different. And I want to I know why you think this moment feels a little different. Um, but I think it's so important to frame this moment in the context of human rights because it is about like the liberation of black people, right? It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not just this political economic thing. It's about like the liberation of black people. You know, I, I've been talking to a bunch of folks over the past couple of weeks since this particular part of the uprising has, has happened. For folks who've been doing this work for a long time, for folks who have, you know, kind of been talking about these things, we were called crazy years ago, we were ignored, folks have kind of scoffed at us and if it, I don't know I don't know if you feel this way, but one thing that I have felt over the last couple of weeks is that this one this time feels different. Like I, you know, I have some I have some thoughts of why that is, but what, what why why you think that is? Why does it feel different now? What is different? What what do you what's your insight on that? Yeah, I mean, not only were people dismissive of police abolition the last few years since 2014, I mean, I consider myself a baby abolitionist. Mm -hmm. I just started really thinking through and studying the politics of abolition until like 2016, like, mm -hmm. um, like around that time, like my second year of law school, where I was like, wow, I got, as I began to study and understand the law more and more, I realized like, you know, we've been demanding constitutional policing but the police have the power to be constitutionally violent. Right. So it's, it's not, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that just because it's constitutional that it's less violent, right? Yeah. So not only have that, um, the policies of abolition have been disregarded and dismissed since 2014 when the conversation around the prison industrial complex hit the scene again, it's been dismissed for over a decade. You know, critical <laughs> resistance was an organization that came out of this huge conference in 1998 or 1999. Um, Rachel is gonna fight me if I don't remember the date, but I don't remember right now. Um, you know, they were founded as a prison industrial complex abolitionist organization. Mm. And people were just like, who, wait, what? Right. And this is it, like, I was in third grade, right. you know? Yeah. And yeah. even before, you know, critical resistance, there were, you know, scholars and activists who were talking about, you know, reducing the size of prisons, you know, having, you know, black people patrol their own communities at one point was put on the table instead of police officers. Yeah. If you go all the way back to W.B. Du Bois writing in Black Reconstruction, now he has an entire chapter on abolition democracy and the promises of what Reconstruction could have been, would have been, but for the betrayal of the federal government, mm. you know. So the policies of abolition have been undermined since there's been a politics of abolition. Because yeah. there's also a politics of white supremacy and heteropatriarchy in this country. Yeah. There's a politics of capitalism in this country. Yes. And it sells people on it. Yes. So as long as that, there's going to be that, there's going to be the, the politics are going to be contested. Yeah. And so I completely agree with you. This moment feels so exciting for me because I know in 2014, when Darren Wilson murdered Michael Brown on Campus Drive, and I was very much send those killer cops to jail, arrest, indict, mm -hmm. conflict. Very much like we need, you know, body cameras. We need. To, I was very much in that space. Mm -hmm. And over time, you know, I've been politicized to think differently about what's possible in this country, what's possible in this yeah. world. And watching the demands go from, you know, just simply indicting and convicting cops 
to defund police, I think mm-hmm. that's worth celebrating. Yeah, you know, and I agree. Down the street, right down the street, the mayor, Muriel Bowser, is currently proposing to increase the police budget. She painted Black Lives Matter in the street. Yeah. And BYP 100 in D.C., BLM, all these Black-led organizations in D.C., they painted defund the police. Yes, I saw that. As a res- I saw yes, that. that's where we are. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right, right? I, um, Oh, man, there's so much in there. And I, you saw, I think you may have seen me get excited because this is like, whenever I, whenever, whenever we get together to talk about this stuff, I'm getting excited about it because I'm like, you know, the the you mentioned something uh, being a cause for celebration. You know, earlier today I was talking to, in my physical wellness conversation with Lance Woods, we talked about consistency and like expecting discouragement. And one of the things that I found that is really important on that journey of doing anything or setting a goal for a thing and then encountering discouragement is also knowing when to like take a celebration, take a moment to celebrate and say, this is a thing that we can feel victorious about. Now, that does not mean we stop, that we rest on laurels or just kick our feet up, but it is a thing to say, listen, there are things happening and moving in the direction of what our ultimate goal is. And that is yeah. important. And that's the thing that, that to cite. And I, you know, one of the things I see right now, and again, like why things feel different, it's like, People are talking about defunding the police. And I'm like, that language. And I'm like, I'm like, what is happening right now? People are really considering yeah. this. Like, what? And I'm like, for me, I'm like, well, you know, you know, I'm a baby abolitionist too. I remember the first time I heard uh, the phrase demilitarize the police. After speaker's name, his name is Jared Drake. He was a classmate of mine in undergrad. And he he mentioned that like in 07. He was a classmate. He mentioned it in 07. I'm just like, what? How you how you do that? So now here we are with people literally talking about defunding the police, abolish the police doesn't feel like such a curse word anymore. And yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like this, this thing being considered right now, but even further, right? You mentioned heteropatriarchy, you mentioned the prison industrial complex. Those are, you mentioned capitalism, right? Like I've always thought about this three headed monster of white supremacy, patriarchy and capitalism. And we're starting to see these things come to the fore. And I would, I would love if you could, and, and these are these are huge questions right now, right? Of course, but could you could you could you give us a little bit of insight on the connection between between abolishing the police and mm-hmm. um, the present industrial complex? Yeah, of course. I'll try. I'll try my best. I'll try my best. So you know, people who were working with and around critical resistance were paying attention to the military industrial complex. So how does the United States invade other countries? How does that then inform defense contracts? The mm-hmm. always the need for always having to, you know, increase spending, increase war, get oil, extract resources, mm-hmm. you know, give money to Raytheon or give money to any of the companies as you drive down the Baltimore and Washington Parkway, you see all the defense contractors right next door to the National Security Administration, right? So yep. and they were looking at how, you know, this system, this network. Um, reinforce each other, informed each other, and reinforce each other, and applied that analysis to prisons. And you know the way that you know prisons boomed in California, right? Ruthie Wilson Gilmore's work boomed in California to create um, a jo- essentially a jobs program for people who had surplus labor, and then there needed to be some way to absorb that. And so prisons as like a program to get people to go to work, and how even with the private prison industry, like well. You know, we can't give you a jobs program in this rural area, but what we can do is build a prison there. 
and then we can try to sell the amount of beds. We can promise to keep it at capacity, right? right. And so how all these different layers, how itself, how different phone companies, you know, if you go, if you visit a loved one or visit someone in prison, you notice that there's so many different levels. There's the phone company, the email company, there's the mm -hmm. correlates, right? Mm -hmm. There's the people who's charging you to use the lockers when you go inside the mm -hmm. jail the first time. Mm -hmm. There's the cameras. I went to go visit someone, one of my family members who was locked up in Memphis a couple of years ago. Mm. And I went through, this is my first time going, not as a lawyer. This is me going and trying to get someone out, my little brother out. Okay? Right, right. I go in, I'm watching people get turned away because they have on leggings, because they have, you know, spaghetti straps, because whatever, all these kind of arbitrary reasons. Right. You know, they don't want people to have two pair of pants on. So if you have on, it was cold, it's February. So if you have on tights underneath your pants, then you are turned away, you know, because there's a security issue. Right. And so I'm watching people get turned away left and right. Luckily, I had a couple of coins, was able to put stuff in a locker, and then, you know, went to, went to the back. I go in, I go into a room, and there's a screen where, I'm, you know, I'm seeing this person being, like, live streamed in from another room in the jail. And I said, so they made us go through all of the security, you know, put stuff in lockers, go in and out, get mm. pat down, get searched, just go in a room to watch someone on the screen? How am I going to sneak something into this person if, they, if they're in a whole right. different room? Right. A whole different whole so right. the company profits from selling people that camera access, right? The footage, the conversation. Oof. This is why I always tell people, you know, if you get locked up, don't say anything over the phone. Like, don't do that. Don't do that because what's going to happen is that those calls are going to be recorded and they can mm -hmm. be used against you. Yeah. You know, so that's loosely, roughly the prison industrial complex and where, you know, critical resistance came in and said that we need to abolish that. Mm -hmm. And since then, interestingly, you know, prison abolition and police abolition, people talk about them separately. But I just, you know, very simply, right. how do people get to jail? How do people get to prisons? They get that through police. So if there's any shrinking reduction or abolishment of those major institutions, those holding pages, we also have to reduce and abolish the apparatus that gets them there, and that's the police. Yeah. You know, usually your first encounter to the jails and prisons is through the through a police officer. So that's the connection, you know. Yeah, yeah that that thank you for that. That's very helpful. I think yeah, it's this there's, there's so many intersectional places in this and it's so inter, everything's so intertwined. Um and it's hard to it's hard to pull it out and you know again i'm just thinking about human rights right and where folks can access their understanding of their own human right within this framework and a lot of it is the information and understanding the connections between these things there are still a lot of folks who you know speaking about prison abolition as it relates to police abolition um and we still obviously have a long way to go for that conversation even though it is it does seem to be on the table differently now um, yeah, yeah there still are so many folks family members i have folks i talk to who are just, you know, some you, you mentioned this as a, as a way you used to be a few years ago, send those killer cops to jail, right? Um, yeah. What what do you say to your that, that self? It's like, yo, this is this is the shift. What do you say? Because there's a lot of folks who are there and folks are coming around, but they, you know, they may need a little, little something. What, what, do you, what do you say to those folks? I mean, I, here's the thing. If you've experienced police violence, if you've been pulled over or cursed out, hurt, you've seen these videos of police with their knees in our backs, you know, you see them dragging away Freddie Gray and putting him into the back of a police van who's like obviously upset. Mm. I completely think it's okay for you to feel affirmed by the 
idea of them being punished. Yes. I can imagine that could soothe something. It's like, oh man, like we're yeah. about to get back. Or yeah, now you know what it's like to be in cups. Yeah. You know, now what you, you know what it's like to sit in the back of a police car, to yeah. be booked, to be fingerprinted, to be t- your picture taken, you know, taken and it goes viral. It goes through that yep. to be shamed. That I, I think that people want to feel affirmed and like mm-hmm. wanting that level of revenge and mm-hmm. like the idea to be like, "Hey guys, hey, settle down, settle down. <laughs> this isn't evolution. Right. It's an easy way to lose a lot of people. Right. Like just to be honest, just like yo, 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 hey, everybody, everybody. You know. So yeah. I completely under understand that it's, when I see it. You know, I just be like, wow, you know, okay, someone was arrested. Like, all right, I, I right. try to keep myself neutral. Yeah. Even though I'm sure that's my part of me. It's like, oh, we in here. Right, like, right. It's got it's, it's a balance like, to it. It's a balance. Yeah, yeah, because I know, I, I know the statistics. You know, I know that more officers have been arrested and indicted, convicted in the last five years. I also know that the same amount of people have been killed. Right. One with all the reforms, people, the same amount of people. All the reforms. With all the reforms, with all the arrests, indictments, convictions, we know that even if someone is arrested, it doesn't mean they're going to be convicted. Right. Even if they're indicted, it doesn't mean they're going to be convicted. You right. know, even if they are convicted, it doesn't mean they're going to serve 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. What society has told us yeah. is the amount of time that you should be in prison for taking someone else's life. Right. You know, you look at Jason Van Dyke, who shot a comic down in the back 16 times. He got like seven and a half years. You look at, you know, um, what's his name? Peter Liang, and who killed yeah. a Kagali in New York City. Yeah. After the prosecutor got a conviction, they said, Your Honor, we believe this was an honest mistake. This, uh, he, We believe he is sorry. Please do not give him any time in prison. Right. He has suffered enough. A prosecutor said that. So even Peter Liang didn't spend a, you know, a day in prison for killing a Kagali. Right. So all that grace, all that, you know, you can only serve a few years here and there or you don't serve any time, that grace comes out for police officers. Yeah. But if you kill someone and there was a mistake and you coming down the, the the stairs and you're black, you're going to go to prison. Yeah. You know, it's just I know that if that is the bulk of the energy, if that is the bulk of the organizing towards convictions it, it's 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 going to exhaust us really really quickly Society. and it's going to affirm the logic that prisons can keep us safe right so black lives can't matter only if an officer is punished mm-hmm. black lives can't matter only when we die yeah. black lives yes. jail doesn't keep us more safe it doesn't yes. keep there's still a thousand people being killed even in the pandemic we're on track to meet that number mm-hmm. we're on track to meet that number because police have not stopped killing Mm. So it's like, okay, do we care about punishing for black death or do we care about preserving black lives? Yeah. And that leads me towards the abolitionist like framework, okay? We have to reduce contact between police and black people. Reduce the um, the contact between police and people who they preserve they police of all races. Of all races. You mm-hmm. know, white people too, white people ain't safe. Right. right. Nobody's safe from the safe. system, right? And that's no that's, that's what that and that's no. what I feel like is being becoming a little more readily understood right that it's the system at, at at work here and the system is what the problem is right like the uh yeah. the article right like the what is it uh what is the title of your article the new york times like the police are the problem what is it what is yeah it? they can't solve the problem they are, yeah, the, they problem. are the problem right man Derek, listen i would love to talk about this all day long <laughs> i feel like I, I talk about this with folks often but again i i'm thankful for your the work you do because it makes it easier for me to 
send folks a place where they can find a credible source for information on this perspective. So thank you for that. One thing I also, I, we have a few more minutes. I do want to get, I, well, I'll say this. In addition to being uh, like a fierce advocate for, for black lives and for police abolition and prison abolition, and all of these really important topics, I also know you'd be a person of joy. And I've been asking a lot of people about joy. Uh, I'm a person who believes that joy is also revolutionary. That's why I asked about celebration earlier. I think it's super important. Where are you experiencing joy right now? I think that testament and that uh, witness is also affirming. And um, I would love to hear that from you because I know you. I know you somewhere experiencing joy. And I, you know, and in the midst, it's a resilient yeah. joy right now. But in the midst, we still have the capacity for joy. And it's not an ignorant joy, it's a resilient joy. I'm also okay with people being ignorant. I think that's a lot of joy <laughs> being ignorant. And like <laughs> That's a fact. No, that's a fact. I'll tell you, my little sister, um, I was at I was um doing this event for um the Maroon Project, making mat like masks for the people. So we're putting together all these kids. Yeah. And there was this kid there, he was like, I don't know, 25, 26. I can say that because I'm 30, so yeah, you look a kid. <laughs> and he was talking about people don't get bucked to bang that thing up no more. People his age and younger. And I was like, Wait, don't, get what? don't get amped when oh. when Juvie comes on. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, and oh, so oh, last oh, night oh. I did an informal survey with my sisters. And I was like, Is this is this true? Is this true? And so she said, No, people still get ignorant. So I just uh, Affirm certain kinds of yeah, yes. yes. This is yes. not this is not an anti-ignorance space. I just <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Some ignorance matters, not all ignorance. Um, yes, thank you for that qualification. So what do I find? What do I find? Joy. Oh man, so many places like in the streets, watching people, watching the protests grow. It it, it feels like for the first time, I was nervous that the uh, arrest. Oh, an indictment of the police officers would make people go inside and be like, woo, we've done. But since he was arrested, the protests have only gotten bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And more buck. They've gotten yeah. bigger and more buck. Yeah. And then they said, okay, 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 we'll charge the other three. People are still yeah, going out. Like, You're not about to just hush us up with some yeah, arrest. We've been We've been down this road. So I mean, we know, we know, we know what y'all trying to do. We know y'all want us to go inside. We know y'all want some little reforms. We know y'all want us to say build trust. No, uh, no, no, uh, no. It's quiet. No, we shut down down. So quiet. that's bringing me a lot of joy. Yes. Um, last night when I was praying, my um, six year old, we'd like do like a little handshake and then we pray before he goes to sleep. Uh -huh. And after we prayed last night, um, he said, Mommy, are there villains in the world? And I said, yes. And he was like, okay. You know, um, last time we prayed for people who don't have money. We prayed for people who don't have food. We prayed all this stuff. He was like, are the villains keeping, you know, food and clothes and toys from like the kids we prayed about tonight? Mm. And I said, yeah, they are. He was like, you know, what are their names? What, what, are, we, what are they called? And I said, because he's thinking like Decepticon, like Transformers. Mm. Like, you know, there's names for villains that yes. you watch all these like movies. Yeah. He said, you know, what are their names? And I said, capitalists. <laughs> he said, he said, capitalists? I said, yes. <laughs> oh, man. He said, how come they don't want people to work? I said, well, they do want them to work. They just want to take all their money from them. Oh. He said, why? So they can do whatever they want to do? I said, exactly. Wow. He said, is that why you're a lawyer? I said, yes, that's wow. why I'm a lawyer. He said, so you can fight the capitalists? I said, yes, exactly. 
Then he wrote me the wrong way a little bit. He said, um, are there female capitalists? I said, female? You said, how you already said that female capitalists? And then I said, actually, actually, yes, there, there are women, you know, capitalists come in all sizes, races, colors, all, uh, yes. He said, how do we defeat them? I said, well, we got to keep convincing people that capitalists should not have everything, mm. not that they should become capitalists too. So those kind of conversations where I didn't even know that, you know, at, you know, 8.30 last night, I was going to have a conversation about capitalism, my son that was bound up in like the Avengers. You know, it was just, I was like, wow, like that made me happy. So yeah, talking about juvenile, talking about capitalism, my six-year-old, talking about all this stuff, it's just like, this brings me joy, music brings me joy. Talking stuff about insecure because I wanted to make a turn, but it's not making a turn I wanted to make. Oh, it's not. I mean, all of it. It's. Oh, is it? Ah, <sighs> just that's another. Another. Listen, this has what been um, this has been an amazing uh, exchange here. I'm grateful for you. Yeah, I was gonna say throw them books. We could we go we yes. gonna them books up. Yeah, again, Decker, thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's funny. You know, we, we ended with uh, with the wisdom from the young ones and uh, the the scriptures say. That the secrets of the kingdom are hidden in the hearts of the children. Yeah. And Ella Baker would say that the young people know the way. So I wanna I wanna call on Ella's name. Thank you everybody who's kinda tuned in. You know, this okay. is the ongoing conversation. Is that a pothos, a pothos, a, a devil's ivy? How do you know right. that? That's exactly what it is. Oh, okay, all right. You know, trying to make my thumb green. You I'm know? trying to, I'm trying to get green. Listen, I had to get some plants up in here to save my life during this quarantine and I, they've been growing, so I'm like Okay, I'm grateful. Okay. I'm grateful. But yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> I love to continue this conversation as always there because the homie we <laughs> Of course, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Peace and power. True.